0: Episode 59: A sequel chat movie review of Thor: Ragnarok. We first meet Thor encaged by Surtur. Things definitely aren't going his way as he has been on a two-year cosmic road trip in search of the Infinity Stones since we last saw him taking that awkward prophecy hot tub bath in Age of Ultron. Warning, Sequel Chat is a movie lover's podcast featuring discussions of the latest cinematic sequels in theaters now. These weekend of release reviews are spoiler filled and highly flammable. So please use caution when listening. You have been warned.
1: Alright, well, welcome to this very special episode of Sequel Chat. It actually, it feels like we had to assemble the team from all of the Nine Realms just to finally get this supersized edition of Sequel Chat recorded. So, we're glad you're here, we're glad everybody's here. We've assembled our team of podcast revengers who are ready to share their thoughts about Marvel's latest film, Thor Ragnarok. So, over here... Raising his mighty hammer, we have Jeremy. I am Thor, Lord of Sparkles. <laughs> and over here, well, what's he doing? No, he's no, don't, he's he's disintegrating and floating away. Colton, wait!
2: You know, I love it when you call it a really special episode because then I think, oh crap, we're gonna have to watch Uncle Jesse explain to Michelle what it means when Grandpa
1: dies.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I am Adam. I don't know. I guess I'm just looking to start a revolution or something like that. It's not going well. Make sure to print enough pamphlets. (laughs) Thor Ragnarok. Third Thor film. It finally happened. I am just so curious to know the first reaction you had based on whatever information was given to you. Colton.
2: I knew already that Ragnarok was another word for basically a Norse apocalypse. So I was like, they better deliver on the apocalyptic aspects. And You know what? I think they did. And I am, I was a little worried, on the other hand, that we were going to get more of the same. Uh, infamously, those who know me best know that Thor the Dark World is the last film that quote unquote phantom menaced me. Where (laughs) I felt like I pretty much enjoyed it, and then it just fell apart upon repeat viewings. There's like a really, there's a couple of really good spots but the whole film, as, as a whole, is a drag to me. And I was just so afraid of being disappointed again. And I I had that dread on one hand, but the hope that Ragnarok would actually mean something deep and a little less one-note as the previous film was. And I don't mean to give too much away, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself this time, and I don't think I was Phantom menaced
1: How about you, Jeremy? You're always in on the latest Marvel gossip, so... Based on what you started hearing about it, were you excited for this movie?
0: Oh, of course. Like, okay, so you have to think about directors. So the first one was Kenneth Branagh. Dark World, I can't tell you off the top of my head who directed it, just because it didn't- A guy stick from Game of Thrones. Me. Right. Like, it stuck out as the sore thumb of the Marvel Universe. Almost more so than even Iron Man 2. Them's fighting words for some people, but yeah, not me though.
1: A I very think. small army. <laughs> yeah, can stop them. Right, and, they didn't and print so then you pamphlets.
0: have no, and they can never print enough pamphlets. And now Taika Watiti, the director of this, and he'd he'd done an interesting spectrum of films. A little bit of goofiness, but can get the sentimental moments. So I was encouraged just from who they announced as director. Once they started leaking out what pieces of the stories they were going to from the comics, I was totally on board. Like Ragnarok, the end of everything. Well, at least Asgard anyway. And then there were rumors for the longest time, that this was going to be a Thor and Hulk buddy cop cosmic adventure. And then it came out that they were going to do Planet Hulk also with it. And I'm like, if anyone is going to weave two of these gigantic stories together and do
1: it well, it's Marvel. Yeah, well, and you you mentioning Planet Hulk there, for me, you know, that was one of the storylines i I was never a big thor fan i was never a big hulk fan but i remember being very interested in planet hulk and ultimately world war hulk when that Mm -hmm. storyline was playing out right and i especially enjoyed the animated adaptation that marvel put out because i haven't really liked either of the marvel or dc animated films but planet hulk was the one that worked
0: all those animated ones through Lionsgate that they did, I've got them all on Blu-ray.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I was, I was not super excited about the film until I realized, okay, Planet Hulk is going to be kind of a central theme of this, and obviously they're not going to do every single detail of it. But I was like, you know what, that's a fun setting, and it's a really interesting way to go. Because I, you know... I enjoyed the first Thor film. I thought the performances by the cast were quality. Uh, just my only criticism was that everything from, like, the costumes to the CGI that was creating Asgard was just too synthetic looking, and that really took me out of the film. It was just, like, the actual acting and relationships I thought were fine. Um, also there's, Brenna was using a lot of Dutch angles, uh, you know, just like the Batman 66 style tilted camera tricks. Right. It was really distracting. So, uh, you know, I, I, but I still enjoyed that, obviously, uh, much more than the dark world, like we talked about. Although that film looked 10 times better visually than the first movie, but the story was such a mess. You just couldn't enjoy it. And I mean, honestly, if you really look at it, The Avengers films are the best Thor movies, you know, like, I feel like the Thor movies proper are really Loki films, you're like, oh, let's see what Loki's up to, you know, and that, you know, because Hiddleston, especially though in Avengers gave one of the great cinema villain movie performances, I think Hemsworth is fine. Uh, but I don't think anybody's, except for the ladies, maybe are going to see him, you know? <laughs> you're going to see Loki, cause you're like, oh, I love that guy. But yeah, it was just one of those things where I was like, you know what? If they do Planet Hulk justice, at least there'll be something for me, and I, w- I would get behind it. But what did you guys think, just in terms of, cause obviously up front with the trailers, they leaned very heavy on the comedy, and a very familiar aesthetic. What did you guys take from that when you started seeing actual footage? And
2: I was excited because they said they were going to go for an 80s heavy metal science fiction vibe. And in that first teaser trailer, I saw that and I felt that, and that got me hyped. That was when my worries about what I basically saw as Thor 3, my worries about that just kind of melted away, and it really did become Thor Ragnarok for me at that point.
1: Jeremy, for you, um, as far as seeing footage, because I know you were very tuned in during Comic-Con and everything else, trying to take it all in. Did you feel like what they were promising ahead of time was actually fulfilled? Yes, and then some. Were were you let down by the marketing, or
0: what? what what's your feeling here, Adam? I'm getting <laughs> real kind of uh, negative, like iron man 2 vibes off of you so
1: let's let's go yeah i mean like obviously i i was not super excited about the humor aspect of it because that was the initial reason i did not enjoy guardians of the galaxy but it grew on me over time after a few watchings i was like okay they can have a a comedic franchise you know as part of the, the mcu but i'm like okay but now they're doing it again
0: so you're taking the the kevin smith approach where if you watch it enough you'll figure it out and you'll know why people like it
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes i i do like to give a film a second chance however also with the trailers where you're seeing all the stuff with kate blanchett as Hala and all that stuff and i was like okay but it, maybe it will have like this epic feel to it but they're just showing us the comedy you know they're showing us the funny moments and there will be some of that but maybe we'll also get you know, some intensity, and that I was very let down by. I do not believe they delivered on, you know, Colton felt like he got On the earlier. comedy? No, they delivered on the comedy, yes, but I felt like they were also promising, like, a real-world-ending type attitude. Like, okay, there's going to be stakes here and some serious stuff happening. Thor's hammer's going to get destroyed.
2: Yeah, I'll agree with you on that front, because the Warriors 3 had pretty gruesome deaths on screen, and I felt almost nothing for that,
0: you know? Well, granted, we haven't seen them really since yeah. Thor 2, and they kind of had to make quick work of Zachary Levi because he had other auditions with DC, <clears throat> the new Captain Marvel. Anyway, uh yeah, but that's part of it. Like, they had to make quick work of these legendary characters – because you had to show that she's powerful right out the gate. Well, And yes. she, was, she was kind of threatening. She was kind of menacing. But she had to be established as someone who Thor himself is going to have a hard time taking on. And I say they delivered. Like, the first time I watched it, I've seen this twice. I had to go back and watch it again. And the first time I watched through, there were totally stakes. At least they sold it for me. And her showing up straight out of the Bifrost, killing Volstagg, killing Fandral, right out the gate, that just showed that, okay, she's somebody that really doesn't ask questions first. She'll kill and then ask questions.
2: Oh, oh yeah, I, I agree with that. What I meant was the way it was presented, it just didn't feel serious enough. You know, I I Thor never even mourned for them. I mean, I've exactly. seen the film twice.
1: yeah. That's my main complaint, is we never saw, Thor Thor doesn't even know about it. As far as we know, he doesn't realize they're dead.
0: That was where I was going to go, is he doesn't know who lived and who died. Like, by the time he gets back to Asgard, there's a small group. Granted, Heimdall could have just said, hey, Thor, the Warriors three are dead. All of Asgard's army is dead. I'm the last remaining here on Asgard. So hurry up. I mean, had there been that exposition, you could have had him go through a moment of mourning. But there's no time for mourning in this other than the brief moment of Asgardian prayer that he says and Loki joins him down in the Gladiator's dungeon. Like, that's, that's the only time he's had to really relax. Like, the whole span of the movie takes
1: place over two three days but let me let me ask you this then colton so obviously you said that you you did enjoy it if you're trying to you know convince people let's say there wasn't much hype around this film and people weren't super excited what do you think you would say about it that says you know what this is why you want to watch thor ragnarok what did you like
2: one of the biggest issues I have with film going is that sometimes we just kind of get drawl and go, well, I feel like I've seen everything. I've seen every visual you can possibly see. I've seen every trope you can possibly see. There just isn't any new ways to mix the cinematic cocktail to show me something new. And then along Cubs, Cork, and Meek, and the moment you lay the eyes on them, you just think they're <laughs> going to be a tough guy who's fighting for space in the in the dungeon, who's territorial and crap. And then he opens his mouth and he's like, Oh, hey, which by the way, I don't know if you guys already knew this. I was floored and other people don't know this. Like all the time around people who still don't know this. That was Taika Waititi as Korg. Right. You guys, yes. you guys knew this, did right? Did you,
0: did you hear how he formulated that voice? A New Zealand bouncer, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the, the big Polynesian New, Le- New Zealand bouncers. Yeah. Big in body, little tiny voice. Yeah. I just. It was
2: brilliant. And it, it, he just, even the simplest things of him sharing what was on his mind just got huge laughs. And those are the things I like to go to the movies for. I like surprises like that. Corgan Meek steal the show, and God bless Kevin Feige. He recognized that, and, he,
0: and he's promising fans, we have not seen the last of Corgan Meek. Yay. And potentially the revitalization or resurrection of the one shots.
1: Oh, I hope so. We'll God.
2: see. All, all, all hail the king was in 2014. I think that was the last one.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's been a while. Korg is one of the, is definitely the standout character, right? I mean, that that's the the one you're gonna remember.
2: So many memes,
1: right? The the greatest revolutionist in history, right next to Lincoln. Lincoln <laughs> they
0: put it next Lincoln, to Martin Luther King, and Corg.
1: Yeah, that's what Doug said. Good luck, new Doug you know like people are photoshopping
2: Disney and Nickelodeon's Doug on top of Thor. Yeah. Uh,
1: that's pretty great.
2: <laughs> so what else There Colton. I like that now we are actually showing Thor's creative personality evolution, okay? He cuz when we first met him in the first film, he'd pretty much been on Asgard most of his life, barely stepping out into the other realms, right? So that's why he was top to bottom Kenneth Branagh Shakespearean And that's one of the things that bothered me about the second film. He didn't develop a whole lot of attitude from being exposed to other cultures, so his demure demeanor seemed the same. In Ragnarok, it's clear that he's developed a very modern attitude, a very Earth-based attitude, not afraid to get sarcastic, not afraid to put out one-liners that are in layman's speech. I just know that some people, they might not even realize that they've been turned off by Thor's one-note approach up until now. Right, because I, I, I would love to use that as a selling point of this is Thor 3.0, you
0: know? Yes, very much so, because Thor, between the first film, Dark World, and Avengers, and even Age of Ultron, there wasn't a lot of time and interaction other than on Asgard that he really had. Like, he had his relationship with Jane, but it all happened off screen. So we don't know what all he was exposed to here on Earth. But he's been on this cosmic road trip of his own for two years. He's been out searching for the Infinity Stones. So, yeah, he's been around the block. He's had a ton of experiences, especially with the Avengers.
1: And this is definitely Thor 3.0. Wow. See, now I disagree with you guys on this. I feel like this film is a regression of the Thor character back to how he was. Yes, he's speaking in in a more modern parlance. You know, he's using the phrases of Midgard. But he spent the whole first film overcoming being like the cocksure, shoot first, think later kind of warrior. And now this film, he's back to just being like a total roided-out idiot who doesn't plan. He just acts, and he says one-liners, and he's just, who put me in the direction of the person I have to beat up? You know, like, he's literally saying lines to that effect. Yeah,
2: there was one moment where I totally agree with you, where at the beginning when he's, quote-unquote, talking to Odin, and it's really Loki in disguise, he's like, the Nine Realms are laughing at you. Isn't that the error of his ways he had to correct in the first film? Him being a little too eager to go to war with the other Nine Realms?
1: Yeah, and that that's just what I feel like. He's all, like, macho, tough guy in this film again, which is not to say, you know, that that's bad, but I felt like what he learned by the end of the original was that, you know, he was essentially ready, even though he chose not to, you know, between that and Dark World, like, he was ready to become king. And in this one, I feel like I don't know that he is. It just didn't feel right <sighs> to me. He felt juvenile again, whereas he was supposed to have grown out of that. I don't know. I really see a lot of growth.
0: In the first one, he learned to become a hero, learn what true power was. The second one, I honestly don't remember much
1: development from him. Well, he was a romance novel character, I guess. Pretty much. It was like Twilight with Asgardians. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, he did have a whole lot there.
0: Yeah. And then there was the two Avengers. He'd show up. He'd do his thing. But this one, to say he was just kind of going without a plan is cutting him off at the knees.
1: Yeah, and, and I can also take it from the fact that he's using that type of attitude. I mean, I can understand, like, at the beginning with Surtur, he's doing it to throw him off. So he's he's yes. presenting that to, like, get him riled up and get him not thinking, you know, and all of that make him reveal his the details of his role in Ragnarok. So I understand that he's kind of, like, forcing that out of him. But I just felt like there was never, again, getting back to, like, the Death of the Warriors 3 or any of that, like, there was just never a moment very rare for him to reflect, except like you said, when he was throwing rocks at Loki's, you know, <laughs> illusion. Very funny but, scene. Yeah.
2: Right.
1: So, so but anyway, but yeah, so, so, but it just, I, I, it, I think it's just because the whole film itself has a very immature feel to it. It's like junior high kids humor, yes. just like guardians of the galaxy. A little bit. All right.
0: Yeah. I know we're on a time crunch. Colton. Yeah. I've got three, your big final
2: things. thoughts. Yeah. yeah. I got three big things. Um, Jeff Goldblum. We did not get enough of him. I I just agreed. Uh, my, my heart hurts. We did not get enough of the grandmaster. We have not seen the last of him. But uh, yeah, that's another thing. I'm glad he's still alive. Yay us. The revolution is a tie. <laughs> it's a tie. So, we so I think there's a safe bet we'll see him again because the revolution was a tie. So I'm glad for that. Number 2. That buddy film thing uh, with the Hulk. I mean, it really did bring me back to those Bing Crosby, Bob Hope Road movies, you know? You know, you're just using me to get to the Hulk. You're, that's so gross. You're a bad friend, Thor. You know, I just, I loved all that, you know? So, uh both the performance of Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner and the CGI version of Thor, of of uh, Hulk, who, he's been full on Hulk for two years, and he's learned some basic baby talk. That was a, uh, Huge narrative step forward. I enjoyed that thoroughly (laughs) with his limited speech, being able to still give us good one-liners and laughs. And unfortunately, he answered that age-old question of (laughs) what's going on when Hulk doesn't have his shorts on. And poor Thor. He's scarred for life. The final score is 8 out of 10. Okay? And the reason why is because I understand Taika Waititi's need for the tone to be comical because that's his directorial skill set. But at the end, we were delivered on a truly great and powerful, bold, decisive twist to, spoiler alert, have Asgard be destroyed. Okay? Not a lot of films have guts to do stuff like this. This is arguably the biggest thing to happen to the MCU, in my opinion, since S.H.I.E.L.D. imploded and splintered off into pieces. You know? That's a really big deal. And it just really irked me that in the middle of that really serious moment... They still had to toss some jokes in there. They couldn't just hold back the jokes for a little while and let this serious moment happen. Having Korg in a deadpan way go, well, don't worry, this place is being cleansed. It'll, it'll become a clear palette so that it'll be a place for all civilizations and peoples to come together in the future. And then, boom, the realm is gone. Oh, never mind then. You know, that just – I'm sorry. To me, that was totally inappropriate. It really ruined the moment for me. I used to have a media teacher who would preach this type of thing to me, and I thought he was just being a stick in the mud. I get what he's talking about now. Sometimes when you strike dramatic gold, you need to leave it alone and not try to joke around with it, and that really irked me. If it was up to me, I would edit that part out of the film so that the ending would be a little more perfect. They were already risking it by having Hulk jump in, and they call him a moron as he's trying to fight Surtur at the end that was a little risky, but I might leave that alone. But having them, you know, putting in one-liners as Asgard is being blown to Kingdom Come, that was too much for me. They did that throughout the whole movie. I understand that, but that particular moment was easily the biggest twist in the entire film. And I just, that
0: really ruined it for me. And that's what I have been hearing a lot from those that are film critics. Like that's, that's the one thing that they have said is that the comedy is used too quickly after a dramatic moment. And I'll I'll give it to them for that because they did. They underscored pretty much every character moment with some form of a joke. The biggest example that keeps getting pointed out is the elevator scene. Thor is telling Loki that I know you are you and I am I. And our paths diverged a long time ago. Like, I'm no longer going to try saving you. And as we're having this brotherly realization between the two of them. They do the help me thing. Thor's get like, we're going to do get help. And he's like, oh, I hate it. And yeah, then you, you see, see what get help is. Yeah, that fits the dynamic, though. That That's not.
1: I was going to say, that one didn't upset me.
2: Yeah. We're talking about a world being blown up and practical genocide happening, and it's turned into a cord joke. And and here's the thing. I know what you're referencing, or at least one of the references. The guy on Roger Ebert's website, something Ziller Zeitz, I forgot what his name is. He came right out and said, that final twist and the joke they put in there was so tone-deaf, it calls the entire film's comedic approach into question. Those... Those are mighty fighting words, and they were hard to disagree with because that moment really wounded me. That's what dragged my rating down to an 8 out of 10. It would have been higher if it hadn't been for that one moment because that was really – uh.
1: Yeah, well, because, I mean, honestly, for me, like you said, Jeremy, they just, they played the card too often. And, uh, like, I refer to it as, like, a needle scratch moment. You know, it's like the record scratch. Err! Like, it's like, we're yeah, doing something awesome. Yeah, he's
2: coaching like... a wee hockey team.
1: <laughs> but, like, the the ball ricocheting back at Thor when he tries to triumphantly break the window and jump out. Or, like, Banner face-planting on the Rainbow Bridge when you think he's going to land as the That hilarious. Whole, I didn't laugh because it had been done too many times, and then I was just like, okay, now now also Hulk's an idiot. Okay, I get it. You know, like, just all that kind of stuff. Like, e- every one of the heroes gets turned into a moron, and that's uh, not I, what I, I, I have want.
2: To, I have to admit something, though.
1: Yes, you're right. That has been done
2: before. It was done in the 2008 Incredible Hulk movie. When well, Edward that's, Edward, that's what it was. Edward yeah, because we saw it, Edward and then they dropped. undercut
1: it. Yeah. yeah. They're making fun of it. Yeah, I get it. But I was just like, but you also already did all those things so many times throughout the film that I just, like, I don't want to see it again. I have to admit
2: that I'm guilty. It did catch me off guard. I wasn't expecting that. I should have been. I should have been. It is predictable. But it caught me off guard having him just smack face
0: down on the Rainbow Bridge. And, yes, it did make me laugh, and I'm ashamed. I'm not because it shows that there's, there's a disconnect between him and Hulk now. And this is something that we're going to get. It's a full arc between this, Infinity War, and the Untitled Fourth Avengers. Infinity Gauntlet. No, I, we have no idea. It may be Secret Wars, it may be, oh, I, there's be so great. many things. And now that Scrolls are going to be included, it's going to have to include them as well. So. Oh, in IMAX. I saw it in IMAX. That was good.
1: What was the most impressive moment before you go for IMAX sake?
2: Absolutely, it's the gladiator scene between Thor and Hulk. Uh It beat that Conor McGregor fight, whatever that was earlier this year, mm. easily. Such a great moment. And yes, I loved all that. Hey, big guy, the sun's getting real low. Yeah, that's they, a good they, callback. Yeah. They overdid that a little bit, but man, the first time, oh, that was so well done. And the goofy smile on Chris Hemsworth's face, like he has no idea how badly he's going to get punched. And it was so satisfying to do that callback when Loki, cause you have to understand, when, when Hulk picked up Thor and smashed him on the ground, same way Loki did, and did you notice they followed the exact same beats of him yes, crushing him to the ground they over did. and over again? And then Loki stands up and cheers and goes, yeah, that's what it's like! I love little cookie rewards for that, for the loyal fans who follow this stuff. Oh, I'm just such a big fan of the sport, you know? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yes, easily that was probably the crown jewel of the film, uh, in terms of sheer entertainment but yeah eight out of ten i had a good time and uh i hope everyone else will give it a try too all righty well i gotta go guys I'll, I'll see you all later
1: we're gonna send you off into the bifrost hive doll make it so now there were quite a few easter eggs in this film as well jeremy i thought that you probably had a keen eye uh looking out for some of them what were what were the ones that stood out to you that you immediately recognized
0: well, if you look at the Grandmaster's palace, on the exterior he has the faces of his famed gladiator champions. One is Beta Ray Bill, another one is Man Thing. Never thought we'd see a man thing.
1: That was very surprising. Yeah, I was like of all of all characters to be in a cosmic situation, man thing. Okay. <laughs> uh, and the There were a few others that I wasn't exactly sure.
0: I'd have to look back at the the screen caps and see who they are. So the biggest thing is Feige has come out and said there was a Beta Ray Bill scene, but it was cut due to it wouldn't have done the character justice, and they didn't want the fanboys to attack them for it. So they decided to cut it.
1: Which I am thankful for, because my comics history with Thor is very limited. I've never been much for, like, mythology or fantasy stories, Lord of the Rings. None of that has very much appeal to me. But my favorite Thor story is The Ballad of Beta Ray Bill. I actually have the trade in front of me right here. It's the only Thor story I go back and read. And so I really respect Feige for saying, you know what, he is a decent enough character that we probably could base a whole film around his involvement. In, in Thor's future adventures, because I mean, just for those who don't know, Bataray Bill, basic story: he's a very noble man from an alien race who has basically been chased off their own world, and they're flying away in a spaceship, much like the Asgardians at the end of this film, and uh, so he becomes a cybernetically enhanced protector he has this like horse looking skull shaped to his head and all this stuff but um, yeah
0: isn't his like consciousness transferred into this android body
1: right exactly so now he basically you know can't interact with his own people he can't be loved by them all those things but he's their champion and ultimately in the story he finds mjolnir you know he finds thor's hammer and then ends up being gifted with those powers of Thor for a time because he was worthy enough to wield the hammer of Thor, which is just one of those things where you're like, wow, okay, he must be somebody special. And then by the end of it, like, they there's this competition with Thor for who should have it, and Odin decides that they're both worthy, so he gives beta Ray bill his own enchanted mallet uh stormbreaker and so anyway, yeah it's, stormbreaker. it's pretty cool so yeah, i just think he's like a wonderful character of that respect and he showed up you know obviously beyond his initial appearance so the fact that we there's hope that someday he'll really be involved uh in the thor mythos uh in the in the cinematic universe is very very appealing to me
0: oh very much so because he's now canon yeah like he exists As as does (laughs) Man-Thing. Which is so interesting, yeah. But as for other cameos, it was hilarious, and I'm glad they did this this way, even though it's kind of a twisted version of Dark World. (laughs) When Thor returns to Asgard, he sees his father Odin watching a play, which is more or less Shakespeare in the Park. Call back to Avengers and Tony Stark. That's where we have Matt Damon playing Loki, the savior of Asgard, in his dying role from Dark World. And Thor, or Chris Hemsworth, his older brother Luke, who originally tried out for Thor, but Chris got the part, he was playing Thor in this Shakespeare in the Park. And then playing Odin was Sam Neill. From Jurassic Park.
1: Yeah, I honestly had no idea. Like, Matt Damon was the only one that I recognized, but then at the same time, I didn't. Like, I'm like, I know this face, but it looks very strange to me. I'm like, is it Matt Damon? I'm just not 100% sure, but everybody seems to be reacting. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't in his, like, Jason
0: Bourne-type fit look. He put on a little weight. I think he's playing LBJ.
1: No, that's Woody Harrelson.
0: Oh, okay. So it was kind of on a whim. They reached out to him, and since he's, I guess, the king of cameos, they called him up, and he was like, yeah, I'll be in it. And the whole Thor thing is revitalized now. So since that happened, almost like Marvel realized, oh, we have Idris Elba. Let's use him. He's on board as well. And so they changed it up and he was the one that was now shepherding as guardians
1: to save them. Speaking to that, the thing about Idris Elba in this film is he is literally in an entirely different movie. Like if you if you follow the rest of the film with all the jokiness and the craziness, this is like the one moment aside from Thor and Loki visiting with Odin before he passes away that is actually dead serious. And I just assume that's because that's how Intraselva does things. But like it literally looked like just the aesthetic of it, how it was shot, just the intensity of, okay, everybody come over here. You know, like, the, like just it was, he was so serious about everything he was doing that I just felt like this must be like, second unit director doing his Idris Elba Heimdall movie over here. You know, like, there's probably a lot more deleted scenes. But that was actually the tone I wish we had, because he's looking all, like, you know, kind of mountain man, rogue on the run. He always looked ridiculous in the armor. In the other films, it was just too huge and too gold and too plasticky gold, you know? And yeah, so a little he, bit. So I just thought he looked really cool in this movie. It, it kind of reminded me of how I felt about Man of Steel where I wanted to see more of Russell Crowe's Jorel adventures <laughs> instead of the movie we oh, got. Oh, right. You know, it's kind of like, I wish I wish I could see more of Doll, you know, saving the day.
0: Well, just wait. Sci-Fi Channel has your movie coming for a TV show called Krypton.
1: Oh, they, they've been talking about that for so long. Is that actually, it's really, really Yeah, they're really actually happening. shooting. Oh, wait. No, someone's, what? He's he's falling out of the Bifrost. He's, he's landing in a junk pile. Oh, no. Hey, it's
3: Jeff. Hey, everybody. Yeah, I'm in the junk pile.
1: This is a good crossover. We finally get you on a sequel chat. It's true, which I would like to point
3: out, and I don't know if you guys did, uh, we did see this on Friday, the day it came
0: out. So did you guys, all of you guys see it the day it came out, too? I did. I saw it Friday. We went Saturday morning, (laughs) and I went Monday night. (laughs) Oh, okay. Okay. I yield my throne. Uh, Well done. (laughs) And plus,
3: moving from San Diego up to Los Angeles, as we just did, we moved from having two drive-in movie theaters down in San Diego to living right down the street from another one here in LA. Wow. Drive-in movies are definitely the way to do it with a baby. So it was wonderful to be able to, yeah, sit in the movie and then he fell asleep and so we were able to do all that in the comfort of our own car there were a couple of scenes where some of the smaller details we couldn't quite make out through our dirty windshield so you <laughs> might have to, to that is
0: this. that is one thing with a drive-in movie yeah. theater you need to go get a nice car wash make sure the windows okay. polished well they are i mean most drive-ins it does they do the double
3: feature thing and that's to be honest that's maybe 80% of the reason I'm such a big drive-in fan <laughs> right 9 dollars Two movies, because I'm sorry, $12.50, that's how much movies are for me. Without IMAX, without 3D, without D-Box... And that's a ripoff. I'm sorry, folks.
1: Yeah, now, this is kind of rare for you, like you said as well, Jeff. To see a movie, weekend to release, it really has to mean something to you. And so, why was Thor worthy of that for you? What is your history with the Thor character and your thoughts on the films up to this point?
3: It is kind of a sweet spot combination. To be be perfectly honest, like, Thor 2, or was it Ant-Man? I don't know. At some point, as much as I loved Ant-Man, the Marvel movies, they're not must-watch for me anymore. Like, even Civil War, I was okay with waiting until Civil War came out on DVD. Like, I'm just not as excited as I was back when the first Thor came out. So this one was more because my wife was really, really excited, mostly because ever since I was reading the Thor comic book and I said the name Ragnarok, she just loves the name Ragnarok, so she's (laughs) chanted that for years, (laughs) and so when they decided to make a movie, Ragnarok, she's been chanting it ever since, so we had to go see it, and as a big Taika Waititi fan, and the nice part is that sweet spot again is because the drive-in, even though I was a little upset because the drive-in double feature was Thor with a double feature of Thor, so we weren't going (laughs) to stay and watch it twice, even though I could have tied Jeremy if I would have done that, but... You could have. But still, $9, and the secret is, no one wants to go see a drive-in movie in November, so... There was no lines. There was no, you know, plenty of places to park. So that was how I got away with doing it. But to answer your question, I became a Thor fan, gosh... It was probably I got my hands on one of those essential Thors that I think Barnes and Noble was putting out or at least selling where it had like the first 60 issues of the original Thor back in the 60s. And I got one for the Hulk and there was one for Captain America and stuff like that and started reading it. And I think what really impressed me about Thor is two parts. One, I love the story of Thor being the story of humility. I don't feel like that's a normal story for a hero to learn humility. But that's ultimately Thor's strength, is that that was how he became worthy of the Hammer of Thor, is that he learned humility, he learned self-sacrifice, he learned all of those things, which is what made him heroic. And then even more impressive, especially reading through those early comics, is how much research Stan Lee and Jack Kirby did into Norse mythology. I love mythology in general. And so finding out that they actually did research tales of Thor and, you know, Jolnir was an actual mythological thing that Thor's hammer was called, and Loki and Odin and the Warriors Three and Hemdall and, like, all of those things, Baldur the Brave and Sif, even Hella, all of these things are from Norse mythology. And so I really appreciated that. So, yeah, by the time the movie came out, more than any of the other Marvel movies, Thor was definitely the one I was most excited
1: about. Yeah, and I, I remember back then, you know, obviously that was a big deal for you. You know, you got a big group together to go see it the weekend to release. So then I was coming to town and I said, let's go see it again. And you're like, OK, that's fine. Let's do it. You know, and a fun fact for me, I was actually, I'm currently wearing it as well, a Thor T-shirt shirt with his hammer on it that I bought for that first Thor film when I was going to see it. And I was wearing that shirt on the night I met my wife for the first time. (laughs) And despite my geekiness, she eventually agreed to go out with me. So I feel like it's my lucky shirt. So that's my one personal connection to Thor. But would you say overall, have you enjoyed Chris Hemsworth, Jeff? Has he been a decent Thor for you uh, as far as your understanding of the character? I would
3: say, especially because I just... I just recently listened to your guys' sequel chat on Logan. And who was – oh, it was you. You were the one that couldn't stand Hugh Jackman's Logan. That's kind of how I feel about Chris Hemsworth. It's not Thor, but it's a great character, especially – like, it kind of culminated in this third movie, which we'll get into, where – I think most people, even before, like after seeing the Avengers, and especially after they see Ragnarok, most people would talk about Thor very much like Tony Stark, where he always has a quip, and he's always got a wisecrack, and he's always got a comeback, and they might even describe Thor as the funniest Avenger. And it's just like, what? Nowhere is Thor the funniest Avenger. That doesn't make any sense, but... Chris Helmsworth, as was shown, especially, I love those little like, one-offs or whatever that they were doing about like, what <laughs> Thor was doing. Exactly. Yeah, his what Thor was yeah. doing during Avengers 2 or whatever. And and it showed Chris Hemsworth has amazing comic timing. He's really good at that. He was he the best really... part of
0: that Ghostbusters movie that came out.
3: Which is from a sheer movie perspective, it's kind of like it's you go with your strengths, and so that's a strength of your actor is that he's really good at, at at the comic part. But yeah, as far as being an authentic representation of Thor, the purist in me is just saying like, you look like it. Don't get me wrong, he is the look up and down.
0: <laughs> the character, well. All right, so an interesting tidbit. Chris Hemsworth has come out uh, since the movie's come out and has been talking about his journey as Thor. And essentially he was going year to year wondering if today is the day they're going to recast me because there wasn't much growth happening with him and it was kind of getting stale. Like he didn't have this job security that he was Thor, um, much like or Robert Downey Jr. came in and he was Tony Stark. Granted, that's up to for debate whether RDJ is Tony Stark or Tony Stark is RDJ. <laughs> but he was living kind of year to year. Well, is this the time they take it away from me? And then Taika Waititi comes in, and everything changed. Like, from what we're hearing from most of the actors on set, they were all kind of in this, is this our last movie with Marvel kind of headspace? And they were like, wow, we're taking risks. We're doing some crazy stuff on here. Is Marvel going to let us do this? It's got to be the same thing that James Gunn kept asking with
3: Guardians. If they let Guardians
1: do all that. Although Thor is a more high-profile character than the Guardians were, so they he definitely had a lot more leeway there to just do whatever, whereas Thor, there's the expectation, and now what have they done? They've totally flipped the script they've just said this is pure comedy and i've heard it often referred to recently as what a workplace comedy set in a comic book <laughs> universe which is essentially yeah. what it is yeah That's so, so it's place. one of those things where yeah i mean this this is a risk but like we mentioned earlier the fact that the first two films were anybody's favorite anyway it like it seemed like most audiences were open to the comedic change well we'll take whatever you want to give us then although I mean, it was very much a, hey, look, bright colors, big laughs, aliens. Right. You like Guardians of the Galaxy, you'll like this movie, too. They definitely played that card. But, Jeff, now that you've seen the film, what do you think was its greatest strength? What stood out for you as either a moment or a character or, you know, something you enjoyed about the film? Or did Mm. you enjoy the film?
3: Oh, yeah. Well, first off, I would like to disagree with that that statement you just made, though, is that I think the first Thor movie – is maybe the best Marvel movie that was made. Oh, wow. The best combination of all <laughs> yes. of its directions, acting, yeah. and, I mean, I usually put Iron Man 1 above that because of its groundbreaking nature, but everything else about that first Thor movie and the fact that they got Kenneth Branagh to direct it, I thought the dialogue, I thought the, the act, all of that. Personally, I put Iron Man number one, Captain America, the first Captain America, and Thor probably just below that, and then Winter Soldier slightly below those as Oh, well. wow. Yeah, that uh, is
1: controversial. Wow.
3: <laughs> but as far as this movie, gosh, there's a bunch of things that I liked about it. Overall, I, I enjoyed the film. I think it's one of those things where the place that Marvel has gotten, they're running the risk of people not making it to Infinity War because they're running the risk of, kind of like you guys are saying, of they're getting into, we've seen this before, they're getting into – Same old, same old. For me, personally, the, like, potential jumping the shark was when Edgar Wright quit Ant-Man, whereas that had the chance to really rewrite the direction that Marvel was going. And then when he quit, Ant-Man still was good, but I think went much more mainstream than Edgar would have taken it. And so they're kind of forced to push it out there, forced to do something different, to take different risks. The stuff that James Gunn has been doing has really resonated, surprisingly so. And I think that's what kind of has redirected a lot of Marvel. And so with that in mind, then you kind of have to hold this with that. For me, I would have loved, if, as a Thor fan, I would have loved to go the exact opposite direction and bring Kenneth Branagh back. And if you're going to tell the story of Hela or the story of Ragnarok, let's make it as epic as it deserves. That was not what they decided to do. They decided to go in a different direction.
1: Well, let's talk about that real quick because we we have not brought up really in any great detail Kate Blanchett and her performance and her role in this. But it really does feel like, you know, the film is bookended by – You know, the beginning reveal that Ragnarok is now about to come, and the ending where it actually comes. And the majority of the film is all the stuff on Sakaar in the middle, and I think that's what everybody's really going to remember in the end, because to me, Hela's threat seems very disposable it's just kind of like again villain of the film here's another villain but she's got a a sense of humor at least she thinks she does but she's really not that charismatic in this role in my opinion so she's just forgotten about like she comes on screen she kills a bunch of people and then she's kind of hanging out while Thor and Hulk do their thing and oh yeah she's back again okay she's killing more people you know so it, it just I never felt like she really was this ominous threat she was omnipotent wow. she's like i could kill everybody yeah. and nobody could stop me but she never had any type of uh you know the, even the devious nature didn't come through it's more like i misunderstood you forgot me and this is what we're really about and i'm here to do what we're supposed to be you know it's just like uh.
3: see i kind of felt the opposite way i felt like sakar was all superfluous I thought they could have cut out that entire thing and made a much more solid movie. That they only threw that in for comic relief value and because we needed to reintroduce the whole. Because it was basically a side story. It was, here's your main plot line. Let's take a whole side adventure on some battle planet, blah, 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 blah. And I, I, I think you're right that, that, that the audience is, well, one, the majority of the movie, the heart of the movie, like time-wise, the middle of the movie is all that time there on that planet and so that kind of becomes the bulk of the story but uh yeah the main plot line is supposed to be Hella
1: yeah but but it's so it, it just doesn't get the you know the attention that it needs but that being said the Sakar stuff is very entertaining it just felt odd to me like to they really did feel like they crammed the two together but for you jeff you know was there like an oh yeah moment
3: there's a bunch i mean again taking it with essentially a grain of salt taking it for what it is not the movie that i would have made or the movie that i wanted them to make with that story but it is what it is and so let's you know appreciate it for that as a purist the one thing that i really appreciated uh, which i and i don't know for you guys that are not as much a purist as i am the like The thing that Hela would do, where she would smooth her hair out, and then it would turn into those horns, like, Uh and and that's the Norse goddess look. And that they incorporated that, I was like, brilliant. I thought, yeah, that's like a literal
1: translation of Jack Kirby's designs. Yeah, exactly. And I was so
3: pleased that they actually did that. I loved one of the parts that really like stopped me in my tracks. Even though I would, I would gather that like it didn't necessarily feel as. Uh it didn't fit with the flow maybe quite as well, but it's just a moment, that moment where Loki touched Valkyries, like made her remember her battle with Ella, and it was done like a epic painting sort of a like thing. Like a
0: Renaissance painting. Yeah,
3: I, lo- I thought that was beautiful. Now, the thing that I didn't like was the fact that they spoiled that already in the trailer. So we already got to see all that, which as a side note, and I know we're talking about things that we liked, things that I would have liked, they totally, I know they couldn't do this, they totally should have not given away Hulk in the trailer. If they wouldn't have done that, that moment would have been so epic. When all of a sudden the incredible Hulk and the audience just flips out, but we all knew it was coming because we saw it in the trailer. So that was kind of a bummer.
1: Well, what about getting back to Valkyrie? Because we also have not discussed her yet. Um, how did you guys feel about you know this tessa thompson coming in and sif is not in the film and she kind of seems to be filling that female warrior role did you like what she brought to the party was she entertaining enough for you was she interesting enough for you did you buy into her disenchanted valkyrie story
0: i totally bought it i was on board and she was one of the better parts for me new character addition wise it worked yeah, I mean, I bought
3: that Disenchanted thing. I didn't care. She didn't grab me because they 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 kind of built it up like it was going to be this big thing where Thor gives her back her original outfit and she puts on finally the vestments of the Valkyrie. And then I saw her in. It and I was like, that's it, really? Yeah. I was seeing, I was hoping something a little bit more epic than her kind of like white and silver outfit thing. I, I don't know. I don't know. Right, I, I there I, was
0: part of her story that did end up on the cutting room floor. Um, It was revealed prior to release that she was the first openly LGBTQ character in the Marvel universe, that she's bisexual and there was supposed to be some scene that really portrayed it. I guess but I I kinda
3: Uh, I don't agree. Maybe she's into Yeah, it wouldn't have affected
1: your emotional investment in the character either way. Yes. It's did she no it it
0: could have because in that scene where she's reliving it, the actual Valkyrie warrior who steps in front and takes the sword Was supposed to be her lover, so there was supposed to be some build-up payoff that we never got.
1: Which is true, yeah. Because really, you think she's just drinking because all of her other Valkyries died and she's the only one that survived, yeah.
0: And she she knows there's no way to get home. Everybody who tries dies. So she's here. This is what she's doing. And so rather than relive and think about the love lost and dying to Hela, she drinks. She self medicates. Yeah, Which I guess I could makes see that. Really old because mm. if she fought Hella the first time,
3: right? Well, they're they're all. I mean, they're gods. They're all right, immortal right. and all that. Although, I, for me personally, I know we kind of went. Oh, actually, no, we didn't. I know you guys did when you were doing your Batman Superman sequel chat. For me, they only get at best half a point for anything that they cut out. If they cut it out, they cut it out. Like they don't get to count. Like, well, see, it's it's still a good movie. We just didn't include it. If you didn't include it, like. Sorry, like, <laughs> I don't think they get to count that as character development they didn't use.
1: Yeah, well, the, the the only thing I'll say with her is I thought she held her own fine on screen with everybody, you know, with, again, these kind of more established stars. I thought she did fine. The only issue I had was that what worked in Guardians, as far as humor, is that you had – A straight man. You had the humorless Gamora. You had overly dramatic evil Ronin as your (laughs) villain. So anything you did, he's like, what the... You know, like... So his reactions were hilarious because he couldn't believe how stupid and smart-alecky Star-Lord was. And it made him and Rocket that much funnier. But in Thor Ragnarok, The four revengers, they basically all have the same self-aware style of humor, so their dialogue is interchangeable, and there's no one to react to them. I mean, Tessa Thompson, you know, as Valkyrie, maybe is the closest, because she's try to play it straight but even she is constantly dropping one-liners too so to me like that was the one thing where i felt like she didn't get to stand out because like they're all making the same type of joke constantly and they're all being you know undercut any form of dramatic storytelling just gets undercut by a joke immediately so it just it never quite played where i was like she's fine but i would not look forward to seeing her in another movie like i do like black widow for example i feel like they always drop enough about black widows to where we I would want to know more about her past she's dramatic and even though they tried to do that here i don't think valkyrie is one of those characters just because of the nature of the film you never got to sit with that that was the one thing for me that's maybe the biggest thing that stood
3: out about this movie before i ever seen it but so i got the trailers i got all all that sort of stuff, like that, even the the unique kind of like '80s throwback logo and stuff like that, and then it said directed by Taika Waititi, which was like what? Because for those of you that I mean, Taika Waititi is known for doing Fly to the Concords and essentially the, he's the New Zealand version of Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, <laughs> not he, but he directed the version of that, so it's kind of like, and this is the guy that's directing Thor. And so it was interesting because there was definitely, which by the way, uh what's his name? I don't remember the Blue Rock guy's name.
1: Korg. That was Korg, Horg, and yeah. that was
3: Tycho. That was Tycho, right? Yeah. Um, but that's the interesting thing too that, the, 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 since you bring that up, Adam, about the straight man. Is that, like, if you look at – and he didn't do – I don't think he did all of Flight of the Concords. He was just a director that directed some of them. But you look at Flight of the Concords and that was the same thing. They didn't really have a straight man. They were all delivering the comic lines. So it could be a different – I mean – who knows? Maybe this is how they do movies in New Zealand. I mean,
1: how much straight men are in uh, Lord of the Rings? Well, <laughs> you know, and I know I've been kind of harsh on this film up to this point. You really have been. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's true though. I, I was kind of disappointed. That's not to say I did not laugh throughout. Can I just say, Jeff Goldblum, I mean, yes.
3: I, I just need to get a loop of every scene that he is in because that's the sad part is, is that it really didn't matter what movie we were watching anymore because he, completely stole every single scene he was in and every yes. single line was just dripping with just like goodness. And the even loominess. the one- Oh gosh. What was the one at the end where Loki's like, excuse me, excuse me. He's like, wait, 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 don't interrupt me. And then she hands him what? that's not a liquidation stick. He just interrupted. That's just like, don't do that anymore. Oh,
1: <laughs> uh, it was just so priceless. Yeah. And he's like, oh, oh you're, you're threatening me. That That's cute. That's cute. Uh, it, it yeah. Sparkles. Then, I Calls love them it, Sparkles. <laughs> when, when they're flying around, like trying to get out of the car in the, in the jet. And then all of a sudden they hit this button and it's him saying, it's, it's my, my birthday. birthday. Like, well, fireworks
3: come out. It is the sad part though. And that's what we were talking about afterwards. Like, other than the fact that you know, you know, Marvel had to see that and go like, okay. I mean, if they were that excited over Sylvester Stallone in Guardians of the Galaxy Two, they've
0: got to figure out a way to get. Into, oh yes, at, he's at least he's going to show up again. He is the he brother no of the collector.
3: Do. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah,
0: like he's a celestial. Like he's one of the Celestials, oh, which he? you do see a lot more of them in the background. Like within his palace, you see a lot of. There is so much to dissect in this. Like you could take it frame by frame and go, oh, that's that from this issue of Kirby's Thor, and you could nitpick it and go, oh man, what details they put into this?
1: Yeah, well, that was interesting too because I felt like they didn't focus so much on Infinity Gems or anything like that was that really was not I, brought up. Yeah, that was the thing that surprised me.
3: That and it was the same the 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 thing that is still kind of. Puzzling me about Marvel right now is that especially after watch it was even after watching Guardians 2 and then watching this one as well is that hearing that I mean when Joss Whedon left and then Edgar Wright left and like these these like people were directors were leaving saying that there was too much creative control coming from Marvel and this this pressure to make it all fit together. And then I see these movies, and I'm like, how does this fit at all? Like, I look at this movie, and, like, other than saying you had to reintroduce the Hulk and explain what Thor was doing during Avengers, which they did, but outside of that, like, they still got a lot of room to go to try and set up because they still have nobody outside of the Guardians has met Thanos at all. I mean, there were no mention of infinity gems, there was no-
0: Yeah, there was. It was, as the movie's wrapping up, and into the mid-credit scene, that's Thanos' ship. Oh, was it? Okay,
3: that was another detail I couldn't see in the driving. And
0: we do see an infinity stone in this, because when Loki runs in to grab Searcher's head and drop it on the eternal flame, he stops, looks at the tesseract, guaranteed grabbed it. (laughs) <laughs> because why else would Thanos show up to the Asgardian ship other than he himself is looking for the Infinity Gem and the Infinity Gem called him to Thor? I mean, that's literally one
3: line, maybe two lines in the entire movie and one shot that ties it in. And it's just like what director would be like, oh, that's too much. I can't I can't work under these circumstances. It's like,
0: really? You can't take okay. one extra shot? But think about the other movies that they were talking about. Granted, Ant-Man really didn't have anything to do with Infinity Gems at all. That could be just Marvel's a little bit of oversight. And granted, since that time, they have kind of been hands-off. They've let James Gunn do whatever he wants with the Guardians. It It appears Taika Waititi had full creative control on this, and I don't see any other big things because we only have... Black
1: Panther coming up in February. Which is going to be awesome. Man. Oh, yeah, excellent. Right. That's the thing. I've, that's like the movie I've been so excited about the last two years. I'm just like, please, can we get really? to Black Panther? It looks so good. Oh. Yeah, I'm very, yeah. very excited. So
0: Black Panther, the soul stone has to show up in that one. Right. Because it's the only one that hasn't shown up anywhere. All all reports out of Infinity War is it's going to be a gigantic galaxy-wide heist movie with Thanos and his Black Order going and seeking out these gems. Because Now, have you read the comic? part? Oh,
3: comic? yes. Okay. Yes. For me, the Infinity War is one of the dumbest crossovers ever because it's just like the guy gets an omnipotent thing so he can just kill everybody. It's like, well, end of comic book. Like, it <laughs> seems very pointless to me. And so yes. that makes much more sense because otherwise, yeah, it's a very short movie and a very dull movie where it's just like <laughs> the only and way we see, can beat him is if Thanos
0: is an idiot. And right. that's what right. happens in the comic book. Well, and in the comics, he is doing all of this and killing half the, the known universe all to court death, which I believe Hela is going to play the role of death. Really? Which is why they, which is why they emphasized, I'm the goddess of
3: death. So I wanted to throw one more thing or well at least one more thing that I liked about this movie. One <laughs> thing that has worked so well in all three movies, even that second one that had a lot going wrong with it, is the dynamic between Thor and Loki is yes. is awesome. And like and the, and that's it's the it's those two actors and that's the great part too is that like that's a big part of the Thor story is the fact that his arch enemy is his brother. And he has this weird love-hate relationship with his brother that is the god of, you know, trickery or whatever. And mischief, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the two of them play so well off of each other. And even, like, my one moment, I guess, that I wanted more from was that last moment between them. On Sakaar, when Thor slaps electrocution thing on it, yeah
0: the obedience it, chip
3: yeah, and it has his big like well, see that 's the thing about us, Loki, is that you will always do this, and I will like that was a big heartfelt like confession, but it was ruined by the fact that he was being electrocuted, so it was like i don 't know how you do that any better, but I wanted that a little
1: bit yeah, well, speaking of them teaming up, that was actually the number one moment for me in this movie, my fist pumping moment where they I was a hundred percent on board was right when Hela appears to them after Odin has died. And, you know, we haven't even talked about their interlude with Doctor Strange, but the fact that Thor finally disguised his hammer as an umbrella or a cane, like in the <laughs> comics, and then smacks it on the ground to transform into Thor. I was just like, yes, finally! <laughs> they found a way to work it in ever so briefly. Not his regular MO, but here's a, a way that it worked. So I thought that was pretty cool. Not
3: only that, but I wanted more of the dynamic of Thor, Loki, and Odin. But even those flashes that Thor kept getting of Odin standing in the field or whatever. Yeah. And that fact, there was this... Thing That Thor was holding on to, it's like, Loki, like, you did this. You took our father's throne, you took away his powers, and you basically condemned him to death. Like, you did this. And the fact that it's like, but you're my brother as well. Like, I I liked that. I liked that dynamic, except that I wanted more, I guess.
1: Yeah, well, they never lingered on it. It left you feeling unfulfilled because they would say a line that says, this is what the character's thinking, and this is how they should feel about it. But then they never lingered on it to let you feel the emotion from that character. And so I was always kind of let down by that. I was just like, well, yeah, you just made a really important point, and then joke. (laughs) I was was like, oh, okay. So,
3: because it feels like you really want to get into, well, you've already Adam into, yeah, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Yeah. Here's my, here's my, here's my boundary crossing one. Scourge. What did you guys think about Scourge,
1: Carl Urban? Yeah, I, I really, my main point. I felt like he gave us nothing. It was a very bland performance, and I thought it was really just a, a pointless extra plot to throw in there that was not fulfilling by the end so it was just like i see what's happening here he wants to be redeemed oh look he's been redeemed but you never cared you did not care about the character at all and it wasn't really much of an arc you know he's just like oh i guess he doesn't want to kill people that's understandable <laughs> you know like okay
0: jeremy are you on that same camp it was a sufficient role it it was a means to an end to get the comic book shot panel See, ripped I, off the page.
3: I think I agree with you. But, yeah, that's that's a very famous moment from Thor's comics of Scourge with those twin guns, like, sacrificing himself for to save other people. But I did feel like it was somewhat pointless. And which is the sad part, because not that I disagree with you, Adam, but I feel like that first scene with Scourge was great. Where it was just like okay, this guy like I got a lot of character development in that first couple of seconds that he was showing off to the ladies and blah 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 blah. But then from there it didn't go very far, and it was kind of yeah disappointing. I feel like like almost like a wasted. I and I love you know self sacrifice in movies. I think that's a great trope or whatever. But yeah, it didn't it didn't resonate. The tough thing that I struggled with about something that I didn't like because that was the frustrating thing to have like the Valkyries attacking Hela was kind of like, wait, but the Valkyries work for Hela. That's the whole point is that the Valkyries bring the soldiers that die and are going to Valhalla to Hela who runs Valhalla, but not in this. Hela doesn't run Valhalla. She's, you know, this evil whatever whatever thing
0: yes for the comic book purists that will definitely leave more to be desired but in this alternate version of hella which is a conglomerate of like three characters it's the villain they needed in order to fulfill ragnarok and potentially leave her in the mix for additional filming down the road
3: Now, did you guys get, either from watching the movie or Jeremy, from your extracurricular activities or whatever,
0: why was it significant that Thor lost his eye? Uh, There have been versions of Thor that have essentially transitioned into Odin, and I think this is a way for them, I guess, to physically show that he is now the ruler of Asgard, and he's become more like his father (laughs) because <laughs> he wants to die that's yeah, a pretty
3: I, rough way to go man <laughs> i guess like in justice league they're gonna have to chop off
1: uh aquaman's hand at some point too just give him the harpoon hand yeah but i will say you know i i actually liked the whole idea you know it was kind of silly but like the power's been in you all along you know the hammer was just for you to focus your power Are you Thor, god of hammers? (laughs) But I thought that was cool. Like, he does look awesome once he's just using his lightning powers and the, you know, the lightning eye and all that. So that's very cool, you know, the representation of that. So I think that's a fun evolution of the character as well, to finally get to that place where it's like, oh, you know, I just, I am the thunder. You know, I am the lightning. And I I literally command it because it's a part of me. Like, that was a, a nice way to, again, change the character for the better. And obviously, you know, with Ragnarok, they're just trying to get rid of everything, right? We're jettisoning everything, essentially, that's North's mythology, the characters from the previous films, the setting for the previous films. Now it's just Thor and Loki space warriors, you know? So, okay, well, and a few hundred people from Asgard, right? Yes.
3: because Asgard is wherever they land
1: or whatever. Yes, they're not. It's not a place. It's a people.
3: <laughs> now, for me, I'm the other way around. I thought the god Raiden slash Thor was just not <laughs> just didn't work for me. It, it actually I reminded don't think me. So. Oh gosh, it reminded me of. It was shortly after the death of Superman, and Superman came back, and they tried to. Give him new powers, and so they gave him like electricity a solar power.
1: Solar flare. Do you yeah, remember that blue light? He was a blue uh, Superman uh, with lightning and powers. On. Yeah, and there and people was a were red just like,
3: Superman. "Who the yeah. heck is this?" And so it did not last very long. And that's totally what it reminded me of. Like, no, and it's the thing too. Without his, like, I don't know how we can forget this in a span of like ninety minutes. Without his hammer, Thor went toe to toe with the strongest creature in all of creation, the Hulk. And duelled to a standoff, maybe, and that's not enough to beat Hela. Like, no, no, I'm sorry. Like, Thor is Thor, without his spinning lightning, whatever nonsense powers. Because even Odin couldn't catch Jolner and shatter him in shatter it in his hands. Like he didn't. Like that part for me, I understood again. In Did the he context. ever try? <laughs> <laughs> it's Uru, like, Uru, that metal, like he even said, it's from the metal, like, center of a dying star, right. that's the point, you can't, hella, no, 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 like, that That was the part, and not only that, but, like, that was even the thing, so it's like, so you're just basically telling me that, like, Jolner, this, like, mythological thing that is bigger than all comic book, like, it's been around for whatever, is just gone now, or is he going to get jölnir too like come on now like, like yeah. that I
0: mean they could well, have he could did get have... the battle axe
1: one yeah but that's not that's not his hammer. thor has a hammer thor and jölnir go together i feel like if they could have explained that because she's the goddess of death she can decay anything so even the uru metal she could cause it to decay and break apart would have been a better explanation than just well she's the first child of odin so she's more powerful than everybody because she's not a she's not like odin's sister where they're equal or something he created her so would he create her to be just as powerful as himself because that's the other part
3: too that they never mentioned we saw it but when she shattered the ceiling and we saw the she was holding the hammer hammer yeah although i guess odin hadn't i don't know cursed it blessed it whatever that he did to make whoever's worthy could wield this So that wasn't, uh, even though in the actual mythology, that was how it was built. And that was kind of the whole thing of Thor growing up as a boy. He couldn't lift the hammer until he proved himself worthy. But that's a whole separate, uh, that's not the Marvel reality. I would have rather her grabbed it, freaked everybody out, and then thrown it back into the dimension where she was being captured. I would be totally down with that.
1: All right. Well, should we get to our final scores?
3: Have we said enough about Jeff Goldblum? we got to
1: go back to the piece <laughs> somewhere. Was there a favorite Goldblum moment for you guys? Yeah, you know, we didn't mention her at all, but there's his right-hand woman. Topaz. Yeah, Topaz, who definitely doesn't like. She
0: that. is also a comic character. Oh, is she? From a smaller comic line that Marvel bought a few years back. Hmm. So it's interesting that they incorporated her in. The woman herself, she was actually the grandmother in Moana as well. So there's oh. there's Disney connections with it.
1: Yeah. But I, th- I thought it was funny, you know, when, he, when he's, like, talking to the Valkyrie, and he's just like, yeah, you really are, uh, what's the word? And it starts with a B. Uh, she, she's like, trash. got no, What? No. It doesn't start what? with a B at all. Why would you say that?
0: You know, like, a... have you been waiting this whole time to call her trash?
3: <laughs> <laughs> and then when he, he melts the guy and he turns it into goo oh, it's getting on my feet. Oh, oh, oh. Every single line was just, was just precious. And it was the funny thing too though that, cause normally that would be Loki's job. He ends up stealing every scene that he's in.
1: We also didn't even mention Ruffalo.
3: Yeah, that was what I was going to say. I was not into Pouty Hulk. I didn't enjoy Pouty Hulk.
1: I, yeah, I, I like that dynamic, the older brother and younger brother almost, like Thor and Hulk. But I, I didn't like Banner. I didn't like Mark Ruffalo oh, really? in this film. I didn't think he played very well. His his nervous humor didn't work for me as well.
3: To get, and that was the tough thing, too, because this is Thor's movie. So there was more Hulk development than
0: one might think. But Now, uh, Jeff, I covered this in the previous But essentially, since Universal holds all distribution rights to a solo Hulk movie, this is why Hulk was built in as the planet Hulk storyline here. As long as he's teamed up with another Avenger, it's an Avengers movie and Disney Marvel holds distribution.
3: Yeah, but they didn't really expand. And that's that that weird thing about the Hulk, which, like you said, Jeremy, would be interesting to see if they do expand upon it because they didn't in this one is the weird thing that it's kind of like it's like what what did it what did it remind me of oh it reminded i was listening to our podcast when we talked about the fly uh, i don't know if you guys remember when uh, and we talked about the gold bloom <laughs> yeah, of course. But the, the pitch that we came up with was the, the, what was it, his son was developing these powers, but every time he used them, the audience was supposed to be like, no, no, you're going the wrong way, you're transforming into the wrong thing or whatever. And it's the same thing with the Hulk is that at the end, I mean, Banner even, like, for all we know, Bruce Banner could be dead at the end of this movie because we never see him come back again. And he even said, I don't know, like, this might be the end of Bruce Banner. And he essentially sacrifices Bruce Banner to bring back the hulk and even thor is kind of like yeah but he's really good in a fight and it's just like so you're willing to kill this man because you need help in your fight is that what you're saying right and that gravity of that thing like which is again it's tough because then you've also got the thor storyline and you got you know all that sort of stuff too
0: so to really expand that much on that idea it it wasn't played up but it was there and i'm trying to remember if in the final scene, was he Hulk or was he Banner again?
1: I'm
3: pretty sure he was Hulk on the on the spaceship. On the, the ship, okay. I don't remember seeing Banner again.
1: Yeah, because I think it was Korg on one side and Hulk on the other. Yeah. yeah. Why is he still so angry? He's always angry. He told us. They're yeah, Avengers. but that's
3: well, that made no sense then either. So.
1: <laughs> poor little Bruce
3: Banner, what's wrong with him?
1: All right, final final sub up. Jeff, where do you sit?
3: Gosh, it's so tough because it's like, I put this one half step above Guardians 2. Now, what that means on a scale of 1 to 10, I have no clue anymore. <laughs> uh, I would put it in, in my favorite Thor movies. It's below 1, but it's above 2. And, yeah, in my Marvel ranking, I would put it below first Guardians. I think that's the best comparison, personally, because I believe this belongs in the Guardians and possibly Ant-Man
1: discussion. All right. Adam? Well, obviously, I've, I've had a lot of opinions about this film. Um, but here's the thing. You know, overall, see, it, you know, obviously my conflict is with the humor and the drama and the, and the humor undercutting any sense of drama the film could have had and any sense that the film could matter and that what it means to the characters is never explored. And I watched Spider-Man Homecoming last night. And the humor in that film is so endearing, and it's character-driven. But when they turn up the drama, when Michael Keaton gets serious, it's scary. Like, it's serious. And you feel it. And that is where this movie is just, we're just constantly hit over the head with snarky dude jokes. <laughs> oh, you know, and, and it just didn't ever play for me. So I laughed. I did laugh. And so I enjoyed about 50% of this movie. But because I'm only at 50%, I have to give it a five. It's not unwatchable. It's wow. just juvenile and it's too simplistic in how these grave events that are taking place are handled. And I just cannot respect the film because of that. And I cannot take it at the level. Say, so, well, that's just what they were going for. It's what they were going for. Then they should have cut out so many important things and important characters dying and all these other things and just glossing over it. And Thor having zero care in the world. For what's happening other than i'm supposed to be a hero and make a joke and so five for me so how do, well how does that compare to like give me a marvel movie that's
3: better and a marvel movie that's worse
1: honestly if i'm gonna go worse thor the dark world is on the other end of being just too serious mm. and way too heavy but i think they swung way too far with this but better And what they were aping was Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one, and I would say, to a certain extent, the second one. But they got it right in Guardians, where, yes, there's a lot of snarky humor, but each character has an emotional center and beat that you understand and you're on board with and you get to see play out. That is not what takes place in this film at all. So, therefore, it it just fails for me. All right, so oh.
0: we've seen 17 Marvel Cinematic Universe oh films to this point. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so building up to this, you kind of have to break them down into groups of four. This one, for me, sits in the second one down. So it'll sit in the the five to eight range hmm. Uh if I'm ranking all of them just due to how much joy I got out of watching it. Uh Like I, I knew where things were going, especially the second time around. Like I know where all the, all the beats are, where the changes happen, the twists. And I'm watching more intently. I'm watching to see clues that lead to when things are going to happen or things that should point me towards, Oh, this is why that happened. It's dense But it's humorous, and I loved it. So it's right in the same range as the first Guardians Wow, for me. And so this movie sits right in that same area just due to the theming, the humor, so much just kind of plays together. And they all kind of give the handoff to here's where we go with the next one. So all right, guys, we are going to be back with you in a couple weeks. We've got an interesting garbage pail kids movie that we're gonna come up with some sort of sequel to. And of course in two weeks we're gonna be talking Justice League.
1: Which, spoiler, for me, it's already at a zero, so it can only go (laughs) up from there. These trailers are terrible. They are. So, so I mean, I have no idea what I'm going to see in this movie, except that, like, dark skies and Aquaman jumping around going, yeah!
3: (laughs) On that note.
1: We hope you enjoyed all the fun of today's show and invite you to check out our regularly scheduled podcast, Sequel Quest where we imagine the next installments of your favorite movie franchises. Find Sequel Quest on iTunes, SoundCloud, or at SequelQuestPod.com now.